Welcome to the Line Break Podcast. My name is Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my friend and co-host, Bob Sikora. Hi there. We're here. Uh, this week we're continuing our discussion of Ross Gay's Beholding. Um, if you haven't listened to part one, it's probably not a bad idea to press pause, go listen to part one, then come back and listen to this episode. Or... Maybe you like to live dangerously and just want to dive right into this one. We're not here to judge. Last week, I asked Bob the questions about the poem, and this week, Bob is going to ask me the question. So, uh, shall we get right to it, or did you have anything you wanted to mention before we start? I think mostly that uh, I'm, I'm excited to tackle some of the latter part of this book, because as anyone who has read it or anyone who is about to hear us talk about it, like it's great. Yeah. You know, (laughs) more of the same for me saying very, very good book. (laughs) Right. 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 There's going to be another probably 45 minutes of us just saying this book rules. (laughs) But uh, um, Yeah. We did, uh, you know, yeah. You and I had uh, different parts of the book that we wanted to tackle. So I am going to read a pretty decent sized chunk um, and I'm going to justify that by saying this part of the book is heavily alluding to Alan Iverson's infamous practice rant and that was a long rant and I want to get every practice that Ross mentions in here so it's going to be a long read but that's fine. I'm starting on page 89 for reference. By reaching toward what you love, which is not a citizenship we talking about, but a practice despite the hold, a practice that spites the hold, spites the overboard. We in here talking about the reaching that, that makes a falling flight. Do you see what I'm saying? We're in here talking about holding each other, which is a practice. We talking about holding our breath. How long have we been and how long can I be holding yours and you be holding mine? This is my question, I think. How might I be holding your breathing and you be holding mine? A practice we talking about, the reaching that makes the falling of flight. We in here talking about practice of the beholden a practice of being beholden, talking about how might I hold you, my beholden out to you, and you hold yours out to me, and how do we beholden each other, how do we be beholden to each other, which is really to say, how do we be, a practice we talking about. A practice might be that we in here talking about joy, we in here talking about joy, which might be to say, Depending on how you look at it, we in here talking about destroying the world for the world, bound in gratitude like this, in the beholden, beholden like this. It's uh, certainly a passage in the poem. (laughs) Right. Um, And, uh, you know, I think, I feel like he must have used the word beholden or beholding at some point earlier, but the, you know, this is the point where he really starts to put pressure on it, you know, yeah. and, and kind of like why that is the title of the book starts to come in um, to some, some 
real clarity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just what a beautiful whole chunk from there. We will get into it, but uh, I, we will lead off a little bit more broadly um, to give you a chance to just kind of talk about for you. What's, you know, tell me about this poem and what it's doing for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned last week, I really do enjoy ambitious book length poems and reading this passage again hits me how much I do enjoy that repetition of words and Mm -hmm. the mixing of meanings, the using of words to mean different things over and over again. I I love that. Um, There's a term for it that I can't remember because I didn't go to grad school like you. Um, (laughs) I like the way that this poem washes over me. I like the way book length poems wash over me. I like to get a sense of momentum and reading really fast and then re- later going back and examining it further. Um, and even better, this particular poem is inspired by basketball, um, which I'll go to my grave saying is a poetic sport that, um, as you watch it, does kind of wash over you sometimes if you're not like paying serious attention to it. Right. Um, as far as this section, we alluded to it last week, but part of the poem has made me think about day-to-day stuff. Um, I'm not really a person who loves having a schedule, but it's something you kind of have to do when you have a kid. Um, Toddlers need structure. And you compound that with the pandemic lockdown. I found I have to remind myself that there's joy to be had in life, that I owe responsibilities to people whom I love, that, um, you know, that there's joy to be found in the day-to-day. There's gratitude to express in the day-to-day. And, uh, you know, I'm an optimist by nature, but I'm also kind of a complainer by nature. (laughs) (laughs) Same. (laughs) Um, And just reminding myself that um, in my house with my wife and with my son and with my, uh, you know, then also just with my friends and my family, I want to create an environment of optimism and gratitude and positivity Mm. and love and um that if i am complaining all the time if i'm depressed all the time that's not leading to the kind of environment i want to create and um ross just goes all in on uh 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 expressing gratitude in ways that frankly i didn't like know you could really write about in poetry right Right. And it's it's so affirming to me, this passage. Um, so that's that's why it was my section. That plus the Allen Iverson stuff. <laughs> Ooh. Oh my goodness. Um I'm trying to think of which of the strands you just offered me in all of that goodness to kind of grasp onto. I think I will start kind of towards there at the end there. You said something that really resonated with me. Um, I, cause we talked about this a little bit last time. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going to be repeating ourselves, but yeah, like, like you were saying there of this passage kind of puts forth this importance of, you know, <laughs> the way he spreads out that word beholden into beholding this, this way yeah. that we take care of each other and take care of ourselves, this practice of taking care of each other. And, and, and very much like you were saying, I, I would similarly agree. I think I would generally paint myself as an optimist um, I'm also a complainer. I'm also a person who gets depressed from time to time, um, you know, and so often when I hear people try and give you, you know, 
essentially self-help things, but of, of just, you know, be positive and like bring that positivity in your life. And I, and I think about all the time how that, I don't know, again, I'm, I'm very much thinking this kind of like self-help method or I don't know, Instagram, you know, several slides of like positive vibes messages. Sure. Sure. It just like, it totally falls flat for me. It, we're, it, we're not going to name the famous Instagram poet. <laughs> I, I wasn't even thinking of that. I, I, I was thinking more of the kind of infographic. Like, yeah, yeah. Thing. No, I get it. Yeah, the the the, the life coach thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So often that stuff just like it shuts me down, and I go no, 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 no. And it actually makes me I, more cynical most of the time. Exactly, and um, I don't like to just like compare what's happening in the poem there to that because I do think what's happening in the poem is significantly more substantial and interesting, but I, that's, that's what I'm getting to is that the way that he talks about both here and in catalog one of gratitude and in the, <laughs> no, I can't remember the name of the essay book. Um, oh, we mentioned it last week. Um, I know. Uh, and it's just a word. Like all you need is the word and then you know, the book book of delights, book of delights. Yeah. So the way that he talks about, like you're saying, about gratitude um, and the practice of gratitude, the practice of identifying delight, he does it here, he does it in Book of Delights, he does it in Catalog of Gratitude. It it hits me so hard. And, you know, I think because it, unlike some of that life coach stuff that kind of just says like, oh, you can do it, just be positive and then you'll be positive this serves so much more as a reminder of like, no, no, this is work. Yeah. And you need to take time God. and do that work. Yeah. That's such, Oh, that's such a great way of putting it because yeah, it's a, um, it's the difference between the live, laugh, love stencils that you put on your wall <laughs> yes. and um, a real honest reflection and interior looking into mm-hmm. um, what all this stuff is. And that's part of poetry that be, Poetry is, at its heart, an interrogation of what words mean and what words do. And the way he turns beholding into beholding and the way he turns turns those phrases about how we hold each other and stuff like that. Right. It just, yeah, I mean, may, I, 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 man, I don't want to sound pretentious, but like it, yes, I would like to live, laugh, and love every day. <laughs> <laughs> But sometimes it's more complicated than that, and he right. gets at that while still being positive. I, I love this, and I, I want to tie it back into something you said earlier about kind of the expansiveness of this poem, because I totally I agree with you. And yeah, I did not have that language for it until it came out, but that idea <laughs> that he, you know that he respects that being you know being a joyful person, being a loving person, being someone who you know, has a lot of gratitude, like that it's work and that it's valuable work. I just got really excited with something I said. But all of which getting to is one of the things that I think is so great about his poetry in particular in relationship to that is in that expansiveness, you know, I think we talked last time about how he lets it, He obviously he lets it rip. You have to let it rip yeah. to fill up all yeah, these yeah. pages. But he also has this like no problem with kind of like doubling back on himself and saying like, Oh wait, did I mean that? Right. Um, right. You know, I, I don't know if I could find like a, a great example of it. Yeah. There are a couple read... though. Yeah. Like in the middle portion of the book where. Right. Yeah. He's and yeah, he, like he... questions himself. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that again, goes to part of that honest reflection. I think he does it kind of 
in a pretty funny way a lot of the time, but I think it is like a serious part, again, of his practice of that the poem is going to be messy and he's maybe going to change his mind about what he says or what he means or what he wants to say. Um, but that I think similarly, like that is part of the work that he's talking about. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, that, that, that translates so much into like, yeah, just how to live as a person. There are so many mm-hmm. times where like, you know, I think Mallory and I are really good about communicating, having open communication and being frank and honest with each other. But there's just like, there are some times where it's just like, oh, that came out in a way that I didn't mean it to. Mm-hmm. And um, or and, and then the, the other person, you know, like letting it marinate for a while and, and then like getting mad at it later, you know, and then being like, you know, wh- what did you mean when you said this? And it's like, oh man, I didn't, I didn't mean that. And I'm sorry that, you know, it, it hurt you or I'm sorry that it like made you feel a certain way. And those are conversations we have like just all the time. It's like, oh, right. like that, I, I realize now how that came out and I didn't mean to say it that way. It wasn't my intention, you know, like that, that sort of thing. And that's a, that's a practice. That's a, uh, that's a daily thing you have to do. Um, right. To, to have a relationship with somebody. Right. Whether a spouse in this specific example or a friend, you know, there, you know, plenty of times you go hang out with your friends and then, you know, uh, wake up the next day and be like, hey, man, last night when I said that, I didn't mean it like this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, remember going out with friends. Oh, God. Oh, speaking of that, uh, Mel got her second shot today, so we're let's we're, go. We're close. We are close. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm getting my first one on Saturday. I'm so ready. Nice, nice. Oh my goodness. Does that transition us into? I think it does. Yeah, we can. I think this. I think this moves us into the second question. I was actually thinking about this. This, the question, the way we phrase it, because because I am the guilty party here for for what's the move. And I was, I, I was thinking about how I want to explain that a little bit better. And I guess maybe basketball is the good comparison, you know, of we could uh, take a look at uh, Luka Doncic or James Harden and look at, you know, for the move for them or one of the many moves is the, you know, the step back three. Sure. Um, or, uh, you know, the dream shake. And, and that's what I'm thinking about here is, is in the poem, what, it, what is Roske's signature or what is one of the many signatures um, that we get excited about. And I, I know you're going to talk about one that gets me excited. So please, please, please. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear it. It's, um, <laughs> it's the metamorphosizing of the word practice. Alan Iverson is not mentioned by name at all in the book. Oh, got you there though. Oh, is he? Just that opening part. Remember he's in the dedication. Oh, he's in the dedication. Right. Okay. Yeah. So he's not mentioned in the, in the actual poem, poem which, yeah, is, right. which is what I meant. <laughs> yeah. And actually a little behind the scenes, uh, when you texted, me about um i was hoping you'd do a riff on the uh alan iverson part and i hadn't gotten to that part in the book yet (laughs) and i was so i like frantically flipped through the book being like where (laughs) does iverson come up and (laughs) did i miss something (laughs) and then i was like okay i don't see his name so i'm just gonna keep reading and then i got to the practice part and i was like oh yeah (laughs) i see why bob wants me to talk about this and i see yeah, this is the part I would highlight. So <laughs> it's just you know you knowing me very well, <laughs> but um, uh, 
But this this rant is famous, and um, if you're unfamiliar with it, you know, just Google Allen Iverson practice. He goes on a multiple minute rant while some reporters are asking them about a asking him about missing a practice before a playoff loss, and he's talking about a. Uh, talking about practice <laughs> talking about a you know i'm a i'm a franchise player and we're talking about practice like this is ridiculous like we're obviously having a bad season why are we talking about practice you know the way that this book is already inspired already inspired by a 76ers legend mm-hmm. um and the illusion is pretty clear but what he's talking about while alluding to basketball is not basketball related. He's talking about living. He's talking about the day-to-day. Yeah, maybe Allen Iverson didn't need to be at practice every day because he's that naturally gifted. But there's a thing about practice is it's not always about you. It's about your teammates and building comfort and chemistry with your teammates and your coaches. And it's about building continuity from day to day to say the word for the 300th time it's about being beholden to each other you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and the way ross repeats the word the same way that alan iverson repeats the word over and over again it just it forces you to focus on what those words mean what practice means what beholding means what being beholden to someone means it forces you to really think about what that means to you as the reader because he you know has his vision but like there's such abstract words that it makes you Mm -hmm. the reader fill in the gaps in your own mind Um, right and i think that it, it does he does it in a powerful way that makes you makes you you know confront yourself a little bit yeah i think um Using the word, you know, kind of metam- metamorphizing is the word that you've got here. Yeah. Um, which, I, which I think is, it totally hits it and it's, and it's, it's crucial to, I think, this book in a number of ways and, and part of Ross's poetics that I love, I love so much of, like any good poet, he is someone who I think just like loves language. Yeah. Um, and sees in language possibility for new ways of being in the world. Yeah. And exactly like you said, right here and then also kind of in relation again to the fact that it is a long poem is you can only get some of these repetitions in a long poem yeah where you've spent so much time with the idea of the poem and then with the idea of those words and then with those words calling those words back and exactly like you said i think it transforms you know it's so funny because it's there's something i think kind of hilarious and you know, if you want to be incredibly snarky about poetry is that there's, we're trying to find some, you know, there's this, there's this idea of, I guess, like trying to find some like greater truth in kind of essentially kind of like dumb random things that language do. Like your example of, I mean, really your example of um, live, laugh, which one, I don't even know the order. Live, laugh, love. <laughs> live, laugh, love. Live, yeah. laugh, love. <laughs> Um, but the one that came to mind for me actually was um, shout out to um, my high school students about 10 years ago. 
yeah, probably about 10 years ago now, who, who reminded me of this thing that I had long forgotten. Um, but, you know, at, at some point during the school year, just a group of them got really into writing um, real eyes, real eyes, real lies oh, on their notebooks. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, and, and and I remember that from middle school. Yeah. I've totally forgotten it, but it does. I've you seen know, that like secondhand as like a meme right. on Twitter of people making fun of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And, and, and I think that brings to light, you know, again, something I think you could be snarky about with it of, of your, you're like, okay, this coincidental relationship between sounds and these words somehow means something, you know, that I, again, I could be kind of snarky about, but I, I think, again, someone who loves language and loves playing with language does sit in that of these things sound similar or these things sound exciting together. These things do something for me. And Ross uses that instinct to, again, I think, open up possibility and think of new ways. Um, like Exactly like you, you know, said, when you keep saying beholden, beholding, beholding, you know, just... Yeah. Yeah. You know, you like speak it out and then through this repetition, it does make me think about that word, make me think about what it means to hold people, what it means to care for people. And very much the same thing is happening with practice. I think a, a different sort of way, but by repeating it so much, exactly like you said, it makes you think about it and what it means to you. Um, it also is this just really magical moment of magical moment. Get out of here, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're going to leave that magic moment in? Yeah. Um, (laughs) But um, of taking back the Allen Iverson rant. um, Yeah. And and turning it into something new. You know, and that, um, like you said, it it is infamous. It has, it was a thing that he got made fun of. It was a jokey thing. Um, It was used to, I think, look down on Allen Iverson and... Ross is able to take that and turn it and, you know, and, and I was going to say turn it into, but I think almost maybe the better way to think about it is to find something really powerful in it. Yeah. You know, that I actually, um, I'm not going to skip ahead to the third question, but I want to skip ahead to my notes that I have because this is an Mm -hmm. appropriate time to bring it up. Something I learned between recording both these episodes is that, um, that practice rant happened very soon after Alan Iverson's best friend was killed. Um, and I think the story is that the murder trial for the man accused had started four days prior. Um, and Larry Brown, the coach of the 76ers at the time had indicated to the press that Alan was probably drunk after they'd had a shouting match about his future with the team. Um, so while the, the rant is very funny and all, but like, I mean, yeah, he, he was probably drunk and he was, he, I, I think he still is a person who is struggling deeply with addiction and deserves our sympathy and not our, um, not our laughter, even if he is a mm-hmm. funny person. <laughs> but it should always be noted that that rant came from an unimaginable place of pain, uh, from a man who was desperately hurting, um, and, so, right. And, 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 you know, like what an essential piece of context to that, that I like you. I didn't hear that till years later. I don't remember when I heard that, but you know, yeah, this was replayed on all the ESPN stuff, all the talk shows. 
um, over and over and over again, and like completely this bit of context left out. Yeah, and um, and, that and used to it. demonize him too. Yeah, like, exactly. Like you and I thought it was just like funny, like just like a dude mm-hmm. being a dude, you know, like you know, just like going off, you know. Right. Like you and I thought that was funny, but like I, th- I feel like an older generation of people thought it was like <laughs> you know a sign of the apocalypse or something. (laughs) Well, I mean, everything about him pissed off so much of mostly white establishment journalism or sports journalism, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, and yeah, this was another thing that was used to like pile on to the reasons Ellen Iverson pissed people off and was provocative. But I, I mean, I think thankfully that conversation has changed about him. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, definitely, you know, at the time, because I don't know, we were middle school, maybe early high school when that happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I, I think about that regularly of how, you know, yeah, I was in formative years hearing ESPN folk talk about him in some really sinister, sinister messed up ways, yeah. you know? Um, you know, it's, and, it's a, it was... Um... I mean, I've heard this maybe like 10 years ago, but um, mm-hmm. like thug is a polite way of saying the N word. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. And I agree with it. And so I don't, I don't like using that word um, thug. I mean, I, <laughs> um, but uh, right. um, I think that it was very common parlance to refer to Alan Iverson that way back then. Just casually all the time him and other basketball players. I don't think it would be a stretch to say only black basketball players. Yeah. I can't only black of, basketball know. players. Like right. the, when, when people talk about the jailblazers, they don't talk about that left shrimp right. or Rita Sabonis. Um, right. And the jailblazers aside from, uh, the one dude whose name escaped for me, but who had real like domestic assault charges against him and things like that. Like the jailblazers were the jailblazers because they smoked weed. And, like, right. who cares about smoking weed? You know, like, legalizing yeah. weed is one of the most popular things, <laughs> popular political positions you can take in the country right now. And all those and, dudes got such a bad rap for so right. long, just purely out of, like, white sports journalists doing pearl clutching. Um, yeah. Um uh, to, yeah. Let me let me bring it back to uh, to because uh, I could talk about this all day. But let uh, let me bring it back to um, repetition and uh, mm-hmm. and its effect in writing. There was something you said earlier. Um, oh, when we were talking about the live, laugh, love stuff, stencils people get on their walls, um, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, a lot of people get Bible verses like mm. stenciled on their walls, and I think that. The Bible is a really interesting just linguistic study in how much it repeats itself, how much it relies on anaphora, how much it relies on um, whatever the term for it is when uh, you use a conjunction over and over again as like a long sentence and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But then also just like the repetition, the way it's divided into verses. And I think it was a... um, it was a monk in the 13th century or something like that. Maybe it was St. Jerome. I can't remember exactly, but it was, the Bible wasn't always divided into verses. And the reason it was divided into verses was so that different additions 
or different transcriptions, I should say, uh, could be passed around. Because for so long, the only way to read the Bible was in Latin or Greek, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people didn't speak. And so the priests had to to know where they were starting from. Hmm. But the effect of dividing the Bible into verses means that the Bible is endlessly, like, clippable. You can just, like, you can take chunks out of it, and you can use these things as mantras. You can, like, you can say, I can do things through all, all things through Christ who strengthens me over and over again without, like, thinking about the context surrounding that. You just use that bit. Hmm. Uh, You can put that over your door, you know. And this has, like, some sinister applications, like the wives submit to your husbands always forgets that the next verse is and husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church, loves the church. I still don't think that's a very good (laughs) sentiment. I have a lot of problems with St. Paul. So, you know, we'll we'll just (laughs) table that for another time. But, um, but yeah, the way that like a lot of Bible verses are just like able to be repeated over and over again as like affirming mantras. I think there's, there is room for writers to study the Bible in a stylistic context because the repetition and the quotability, clipability, whatever, there's something to be learned there about driving your point home uh, Hmm. while also inverting meaning. And I'm not advocating anyone go start a cult or anything like that, but you know, if you do, that's your business. (laughs) But yeah, like I, I just, I, I, I do, like we talk a lot on the show about um, reading literature from a writer's perspective. And I think that reading the Bible from a writer's perspective is a, um, is an interesting exercise. And uh, what you were talking about with the uh, Ross repeating things over and over again, made me think of people repeating Bible verses over and over again. I gotcha. Does that make any sense at all? I needed that final re-explanation because I was just there. I was like, man, how did we get from Ross Gay, Dr. J, Ellen Iverson to the Bible? I mean, classic Chris Corley move. But, um, <laughs> Basketball poetry in the Bible. That's, that's I mean, and, and a, you know, a fairly positive um, uh, talk about the Bible. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just that it's that, rep- you know, we talked about last week. Um, how many times have we seen this Dr. J clip? And we both said right. it was like, over a hundred and it's like how many times have you heard whatever it is like first corinthians 13 or whatever it's like that the answer is as many times as you've been to a wedding you know (laughs) like people repeat this stuff over and over again and but like the meaning always shifts um or not always shifts but the meaning the meaning is always specific to whomever is hearing it and Mm. uh, I'm curious about, and I don't have an answer, but just thinking about that as you say that, of what happens to some of the effective, because you were were saying in, if I think I heard you, some of the repetition that you were talking about is just like in the Bible itself. Yeah. But yeah, what happens to something where some of the meaning comes from repetition and you just strip it of the context? Yeah, I guess I was kind of talking about two different things. So there's, there's, there's the repetition that just happens as a a stylistic device in the Bible. And then there is the repetition of when 
something is just repeated over and over again. Um, but I think they both have similar effects in that. Uh, sure. Um, hmm. um, repetition does something to your brain, is what I'm saying. That, for sure. I mean, I'm still stuck on wall stencils, and I was just, you know, I... <laughs> I heard everything you said, but also I was thinking about like, what if I got we talking about we talking about practice stenciled on my wall? <laughs> <laughs> I will I will do that for you for your birthday. <laughs> uh, will you still get your I, security p- deposit back? <laughs> <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> Just like elaborate cursive. We talking about <laughs> practice. I have yet to see a stencil thing like you're talking about that did not make me cringe, but I'm not going to get into that um, (laughs) because I'm going to ask you, uh, we've already gone beyond the book, but I want to hear more because I know you have more to say. Um, I want to know what's going on for you beyond the book. When we step back, how is this swirling around in your mind? Speaking of fans of wall stencils, my (laughs) (laughs) in-laws. Um, my in-laws who I, who I love very deeply, we wanted to last week address more about how this book talks about race. And I'm, I'm going to be woefully short on specific examples from the book, but I'll talk about where the book took me. A few ways they have inspired me, my in-laws, to practice good things, to be beholden to certain ideas. They are a big family. Uh, just endless, endless aunts and uncles and cousins. And they are so committed to being a family. When Mal and our kid and I go to Baltimore, that means like 7 million people are coming over to the house for a cookout and to see our baby. Um, And they are a product of the Great Migration. Side note, real quick. uh, I hope I get through these notes without crying. And um, if, 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 if I end up crying, just everyone, please forgive me. Um, but they are products of the Great Migration, one side being from South Carolina and another side being from North Carolina and ending up in Baltimore. And yet there are still people who live in both states whom my in-laws vi- visit regularly. And from my perspective, it is one thing to know that the Black experience in America is a complicated, twisted thing filled with pain and resilience, and it is another thing to witness it. There's a cemetery next to a church with my son's great-great-grandfather's tombstone. And my son is named after that man. Um, Not intentionally, we chose his first name for a lot of reasons, for reasons on my side, reasons on her side, but the middle name is specifically chosen for her side. Um, and in fact, that name has a five-generation legacy in her family. And it's a powerful, powerful thing for Black Americans because so many Black Americans cannot trace their lineage back more than a few generations. And to bring it back to practice and this concept of practice, my in-laws make it a point to go back to North and South Carolina as much as they can to see that family is still there, to see the family that's still there, 
to visit the churches, to pay respects, and to understand your history. Uh, there was a time where um, my brother-in-law was driving with his uh, teenage son, and they, they came across a blooming cotton field. And they got out of the car and just reflected on that for a little while. Um, that's a practice. That's, that's, that's a, a, a practice to understand your history. A, um, a day-to-day living of what real life is like uh, uh, for, for black Americans. And it's an honor for me to be included in that family. And I feel beholden to that family. Um, as a father to my son, um, I wouldn't be responsible if I didn't let him know about his ancestry. And I feel like I have a responsibility to show him where he comes from, to explain to him stuff that's really difficult to process, but that he comes from a family of people who are resilient and strong and beholden to each other, who regularly show that love to each other, a family of people who know that no matter how awful things get, they've got each other. And he's beholden to that legacy. And that's where this poem took. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No apologies, my guy. Yeah. So yeah, we were talking about bringing up race more and being a little more responsible with that last week. And uh, yeah, that's... uh, that's where my beyond the page stuff was. I mean, it, it took you. I, I was going to say far beyond the page, but also, you know, it took you really close to to home. Yeah, understandably. Yeah, yeah for sure. that's. Whew, um, I feel woefully and you know, unable to say um, much more than wow. Um, well, yeah, I, you know, I this is this is very beyond the page. This is very much more. Uh, be on the page than uh, than we usually get, but uh, but yeah, I appreciate you indulging me. Um, well, and I don't know. I think I'm grateful. I mean, obviously, I'm grateful when you get go real deep with me. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I I think being specifically the two of us, it was hard to start talking about this book without being like, Oh, it's a big old poem about Dr. J. Yeah. Um, and, and I know, I know we front loaded, I think the last episode with this, I hope we did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, that feels like such a, it's obvious. It's true. This is a long poem about Dr. J, but that feels like such a shallow, you know, like not nearly enough of saying what's all in this book. Right. Right. Um, and yeah, yeah, we, we, we did get to that last week where it's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's always aggressive to just talk about a poem in terms of what's it about or whatever. But um, yeah, I think we, we front loaded the NBA stuff last week and, and, and then, we're getting into the heavy stuff this week. And uh, yeah, and you know, not that you and I are even the m- most remotely qualified people to right. talk about race in this poem, but uh, we'd be bad at our jobs, uh, our non paying jobs, if, if we didn't bring it up. <laughs> no, but I mean, exactly it. I, th- I think you're, you are speaking to something that is so part of the DNA of this poem. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, it's 
it is very explicitly <laughs> there in the poem. Um, but that, yeah, that also that like you can't. That's the poem. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I mean, <sighs> you know, Doctor J is a leaping off point for this, and we we talked last week about the uh, the line, the Bill fucking Walton line, <laughs> um, and you know, I I went back and read couple sections of um, how Bill Simmons in his book of basketball describes the 1977 rivalry between the 76ers and the Blazers. And there was apparently like a huge narrative of the Blazers being like this perfectly constructed team that plays the beautiful game and the 76ers being a bunch of show-offs. And part of that was, you know, there was a racial component to that, you know. Right, there's, there's, right. There's a, uh, there's, a, there's a Bill Walton component and a, and a Dr. J component. And I don't think either of those players asked for that component to be part of sure. it. Um, <laughs> right. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a thing. And, I, you know, I have no idea if Ross had this in mind when he used that Dr. J play as a jumping off point for this book but it's salient it mm-hmm. it it resonates to think about dr j as a player we talked a little bit last week about how there's something about him that is uh unknowable if you weren't there um, right there's something about being black in america that is unknowable if you don't see it up close sure you know? sure uh, I mean, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> both, put, both put our hands up. Um, I, yeah, all of which is to say, I feel so just wowed and in awe of what this poem does, what it does for me, what it makes me think about. Here's my yeah, my my regular old gushing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I just. I think it's such a remarkable feat. And we talked about too how, you know, he on the very front of this book has this list of people, a dedication that he is beholden to. Um, again, Alan Iverson is among that list. But that this poem is this remarkable transformation of all of these different influences and voices into this new thing. You know, all of the stuff that was on. Ross's mind that he was reading, he was researching, that he was just interested in and thinking about, and it turns into this. And that leaves me here, I don't know, months after its publication without enough words to say. Yeah. <laughs> and what a what a wonderful result for all of that. Yeah. All of that research, <laughs> all of that obsession. Um, right. You know, we 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 kind of joked about uh the the trope of staying up till 4:55 <laughs> watching youtube clips over and over again but i mean like that that is the kind of obsession that that a lot of good writing comes out of you know yeah absolutely yeah so yeah we're gushing <laughs> um uh let's uh let's you know we had a perfect segue when we were talking about dr j to just go straight to the nba poem nba question but oh. <laughs> but uh my bad no 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 <laughs> So, for this week, we are, uh, the NBA question is, if you could write a poem, book length or otherwise, 
centered around the press conference moment, what would it be? This is always kind of a joke question, but as I was writing it, I kind of talked myself into maybe trying to write this book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going with Joakim Noah's anti-Cleveland rant uh, from like 2009, I think it was. Okay. I feel like there's a lot to mine there because one, he's tough talking because the Bulls are an eight seed with no chance of beating the Cavs. So he's got to pump his teammates up and let the Cavs know that the Bulls aren't afraid of them. Two, he's right about how much Cleveland sucks. And three, Cleveland sucks because of Rust Belt decay and the decline of industry and greedy corporations using NAFTA to outsource work and a whole bunch of other nasty political implications. And I bet I could get a book out of that if I tried. So that's my press conference moment. And I, I might stay up late trying to write this book. <laughs> just wow <laughs> the range you brought to this episode my goodness I saw this question thought about this question and I was like man that is hard I'm trying to think of my my press conference Rolodex I, I mean mostly I'm just a little bit stuck on um I guess it's two years now. Two years ago now, but uh, certainly when uh, Kawhi and Paul George and Steve Ballmer were introduced <laughs> together, it was it was just really awkward. It just wasn't very good. <laughs> Perhaps a sign of foreshadowing of uh, how uh, how this Clipper thing might out. not actually work. How this might not work out for us actually. Two of the least charismatic people in the planet, <laughs> <laughs> with the guy with just the most energy. <laughs> Oh, oh, Steve Ballmer, I can't, I can't. I, I don't have a good answer for this. Um, I, I, there's got to be something 90s Bulls, I think that would excite me. I'm thinking of a Rodman one, and I don't have it. Mm. I failed you here. I can't think of any Dennis Rodman. <laughs> what a, what a letdown. Uh, I, I, it's almost just kind of like they, they run together for me. Yeah. Um, of him, you know, snapping back or just saying, just being Dennis. Maybe mostly it's just this is getting back to last week, and now I want to write a poem about Dennis Rodman. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, uh, you are a great defender and rebounder. God, love Rodman. Well, ending with a whimper this week. Ending with a whimper. That's okay. <laughs> Okay. We we had a lot to talk about with this book. We did. So, you know, uh, we, we went for it. We went for it, and it was, you know, our listeners can uh, tell us differently if they feel differently. <laughs> but uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, 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 you know, liked doing the, the full book thing and uh, liked the different stuff both you and I brought to the table. And uh, as I've said on Twitter, what will be... Five weeks ago, when this podcast is released, this book has made me feel free to uh, to write different things in some poems that uh, that I didn't necessarily Let's feel go. free to to write. Um, yeah, Roske, beholding, great book. There it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> All right, our music is produced by Brendan Johnson. Our Art is done by A.M. Strickland, and we will talk to you guys next week.